This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 9. This is Writing Excuses. Where is my story coming from? 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And I'm Dan. All right. So, where is my story coming from? This month, we will be talking about structure. We have hopefully primed you well with talking about other aspects of preparing your story. We're going to focus on starting writing your story next month. And this month, we're doing structure, specifically the emotional impact and the emotional appeal of your story. So one of the things that I I find when I'm sitting down to write is that I I make a couple of decisions about... um, the genre that I'm going for and the tone that I'm going for, because that's going to yeah. inform a lot of the things, yeah. pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. It's really important. In fact, in some ways, tone is more important than genre mm-hmm. um, because you can, within most genres, write such a wide variety of Ex- stories. Yes. If you're going to write a mystery, you can write anything from the cozy to a Dexter-type story, which are so wildly different, yet shelved right next to each other. The same with fantasy. So knowing your tone really important and a lot of people skip that in their their planning process yeah I, I find it very useful to think you know what it what is what am i trying to do with this book mm-hmm. what is this book intended to accomplish what reaction am i trying to evoke in the reader and then that gives me a sense of how quickly i want to pace it of how long i want it to be mm-hmm. all of these structural questions that come out of the basic intent yeah i um one thing that i've started asking myself that when I started I never did, was what answer are the readers turning the pages in order to discover, yeah, yeah, what question are they asking? And this is really vital. See, I, I've been doing that question mm-hmm. um, since I took Scott Card's Literary Boot Camp because of right. the emphasis with the mice quotient mm-hmm. and the question that you, you start... Uh, you start with. And for, for new listeners, um, the mice quotient is an acronym uh, and we've got an entire podcast on it, so we're just going to link to that yeah. in the liner notes. Um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> one of our better podcasts, and so we just want you to listen to that one as it came out because it, it worked really well. So, so, But one of the things about that is that you, you start with a question, um, and I'll just use one of the, the, uh, the things. So MICE is an acronym, so if you, if you start with a character story or an event story, yeah. an event story starts with something going wrong, something that disrupts mm-hmm. the status quo, and it ends when you restore the status quo. And so the question is, how can I restore the status quo? Right. Right. And that's a question for yourself. Yeah. But for the reader, like when they finish a chapter, ask yourself this. When they finish chapter whatever, when, what's, what question are they asking themselves yeah. that makes them go to the next chapter? Is it, will these two people get together? Mm-hmm. Will they ever become friends? Will, what is, what was hidden behind that door? Yeah. What question is it? And the deeper and more important you can make those questions to the relevancy mm-hmm. of your tone and story, the better they'll be. Well, um, we've talked about before, you know, how more important it is to open the door and see something awesome and then stop your chapter as opposed to just not show what's behind the door. Because not showing what's behind the door is a simple, cheap question that can be answered in one sentence. Yeah. But showing them something that changes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, and I and I want to point out that this is so much bigger than a, putting cliffhangers at the end of your chapter. Yeah. Right? You know, you don't want those easy questions. You, what you want are questions that are deeper, like, 
you know, will these people ever become friends again? Mm-hmm. You know, will will this emotional rift get solved? Yeah. Uh, one of my favorites. The... One of my favorites in idea stories and event stories are uh, what what are the rest of the implications? Where 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 is this where is this going? This feels bigger than what I've just what I've already been told. Uh, you know, I I, mm-hmm. I want to see more. Yeah, I I find that will you know all of these question words are are useful, but one of the ones that I found. Um, most useful is uh, what is going to happen because of what just happened. Right. Yeah, that's that's a great one. Mm-hmm. That's, again, the open the door, something revelatory happens, and now we must read on yeah. to well, find it's out. Kind of a, it's kind of a distillation mm-hmm. of all yeah. of those, really. Yeah. yeah. Now, it doesn't have to, you don't have to have one question that Correct. people are reading for. Though, in a given scene, you're going to probably have motion on a couple of questions or one primary one. You can have multiple questions, but mm-hmm. when I find people, when their plots are going um, crazy and things are not working for them as new writers, it's often because they don't understand the question that is the primary question driving their story, and they are trying to create conflict that distracts from it or that um, you know overwhelms it and leaves us unsatisfied with the primary questions while you're doing something else. You're not having progress on that main question. Yeah, and I if, think... A, oh, sorry. If the, if the question that you find yourself uh, asking and attempting to answer is, uh, what can I do in this chapter to make everybody in my writing group happy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's a, that is a fairly uh-huh. common... Uh-huh. That is a fairly common mind state to be in, and that is... I mean, the title of the episode, you know, where's, where's my story coming from? Right. In that event, your story's coming from exactly the wrong place. Yeah. Right. I, I also think that one of the questions we, we hit, um, it, or, or one of the things that will happen is that people will find themselves introducing new questions in an effort to generate tension yeah. rather than mm-hmm. looking for opportunities of conflict around the original questions. Yes. Now, this podcast in specific, we're talking about outlining you know, the origins of your story. Um, taking what you've done the last two months and propelling it into an actual story. We'll talk about where your story's going in a couple of weeks right. uh, when we get back to it. But right now, we want to just drill down on this. So let me ask, when you look at a story, do you, do you ask yourself this question? Where is it coming from? Yeah, um, I, I want to talk a bit about uh, the new John Cleaver book, which mm-hmm. is coming out in a few months. It's coming out in June. Um, what I did there... And this is what helped me put the structure together, was I layered two of these different questions together. So mm-hmm. first of all, there's the mystery story. How does this new monster work? Uh, right. How will we stop it? And, you know, what is John going to do? But then on top of that, look at the tone. The The tone I kind of chose for this book is John is lonely. John is all alone. John doesn't have anyone to rely on. And so looking at those two things together, it was, it was uh, much easier for me to say, okay... As I'm putting together the chapter, you know, when does the mystery start to overwhelm the emotional half? And when does the emotion start to overwhelm the mystery half? And then I can kind of shuffle those two different threads together more efficiently. We talk a lot about on the podcast about combining two ideas, but this is another area where if you combine two things, it becomes more interesting. Like if you had, if, if the emotional tone was all just frantic... Mm-hmm. Um, then it would be less interesting than having this contrasting one. Exactly. Let's go ahead and do our book of the week. Mary has it this year. Yeah, this week. year. Week, <laughs> week. It's been a very long podcast. <laughs> um, what I want you to do is to... Um, our, our book of the week? Yes, I'm going to... Okay. 
<laughs> I'm going to fake the fact that I was going to look at the wrong part of the page. <laughs> I could have covered that. <laughs> Possum! <laughs> nope. Um, what I want to suggest is that you listen to uh, Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. This just won uh, the Hugo Award, the Nebula Award, the Clark Award. Beat me? It beat Brandon. Um, this is... This is a really phenomenal book. It does a lot of very interesting things um, with the characters and the way the characters, uh, and, and the main character in particular, impacts the plot. So I think it's it's a really good book for you to listen to. One of the things that she does in this is that this is a, a character who used to be an entire ship, uh, an artificial intelligence, and because of because of reasons is now just one individual and so it's somebody who used to have multiple consciousnesses multiple povs mm-hmm. and now is down to only one and it's really interesting and she gives you some points where you actually get to there's some memories where you actually get to experience all of those multiple povs all at the same time it's narrated by Adjo ando um oh, excuse me Adjoa ando uh, and for those of you who are Doctor Who fans, she played Martha's mother uh, on Doctor Who, and she's a really lovely, lovely voice to listen to. Oh, fun. So, Hugo, Nebula, award-winning, and and more than just that. Yeah. Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie, narrated by Adjo Endo at audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, where you can listen for free with a trial membership. Now... Our listeners may be sitting here thinking, okay, you're talking about emotional import, you're talking about tone. How, what does this have to do with outlining? I want to create an outline. Isn't this what structure is all about? Why are we not talking about outlining? Why are we talking about emotions and things like this? Well, because you have to know where you're starting from before uh-huh. you can s- sit down and actually come up with your structure, which we've, we've hinted at a little bit. So what I find is like any story, anybody's story that you're looking at has stuff that happens before the story starts uh-huh. and has stuff after the story ends. And what you're looking for in the story is the part of the story that will fulfill these these promises, these this is the tone I'm going to give you, this is the this is the story I'm going to tell you. And so you're looking with your outline for trying to figure out where the beginning and where the end is. And and I want to say that even if you're not an outliner, Mm-hmm. which is a spectrum, yes. uh, outlining to see to the pants. Even if you're not an outliner, it actually is useful to sit down and kind of figure out the shape, the general shape of the story that you're trying to tell so that you know where that starting point is. I'm glad you picked that up because that was kind of why I was pitching the question. Not everyone is an outliner. You got it right. And Yay. some people, did, outlining actually ruins their story. Mm-hmm. Stephen King has said before, if he outlines his story, it writes the life out of it, and he's not excited about it anymore. Um, which is a, a really important thing to know that if this is not working for you, it's not a tool you should use. But I think everyone can benefit from understanding the yeah. tone and the promises they're making mm-hmm. early in their story and the ones that they're going to want to pick up on later on when they get there. Well, and not my just style, the, oh. not just the promises, mm-hmm. but uh, as we said, you know, your intention, where yeah. you want the story yeah. to end up, where you want the reader to end up. My style uh, for the first you know, eight or nine years, ten years of uh, Schlock Mercenary, my, my writing style really was uh, very heavily discovery-focused. And often, uh, you know, where the story was coming from was, I want to have an adventure in, you know, it, on a planet that does this. You know, I want to I wanna play with, 
Um, I want to play with medicines. I want to play with whatever. You know, that was where the, that was where the story was coming from. Um, and so, at the outset, I'm making promises to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, these are things that are going to that are going to feature in the story. That's a really really loose structure. Um, the things that I didn't realize I I also planned to have is that I knew that I was writing a science fiction, a, a space opera adventure that was humorous mm-hmm. and upbeat. And so structurally, there were going to be punchlines, there were going to be running gags, there was going to be an upbeat ending. And if I was going to, uh, if I was going to leave something unresolved, it needed to be something that was small enough that I could get away with uh, that I could get away with introducing it two thirds of the way through the story. I was doing all of that unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Now I do that very consciously, and I write those things down in the outline. And for me, that hasn't written the life out of the story. It's prevented me from three quarters of the way through the project realizing that I've painted myself into a corner, and it's time to get a jackhammer. Yeah. Okay. So let me let me follow in a similar vein, uh, talking specifically about some of my stuff. The John Cleaver books are mysteries mm-hmm. I mean, more than really more than anything else which means that i know structurally there are going to have to be clues revealed there's going to have to be red herrings mm-hmm. to throw you off that look like clues but aren't and once you know there, there's going to have to be scenes of revelation there's going to have to be new bodies found that the killer has left behind all of those things are structural points that i can start putting together in order and then looking at them and going okay well then how can i feather in this other side, the emotional side, and and then I know in more or less in order what's going to happen, and then once I know that order, I can discovery write the rest of the way through it. Yeah, when we talk about discovery writing, I often like to reference George Martin's description of it, which is gardening. Hmm. Um, you you take something that's growing, or maybe even you know taking and shaping a bonsai tree. You're not going to cut off all the branches. You're not. You do know the shape of a tree and kind of what you're shooting for. You may take this tree and edge it in different directions and encourage it in different directions as you're growing it, but you still know what a tree looks like and what your end goal is generally going to be. In the same way as a writer, if you're a discovery writer, just sitting down and just going any random direction without using the elements of structure and storytelling is going to end you up with a bad story. Learning the different types of stories that can be told, learning about what types of promises are fulfilled regularly by authors and how it works. This is all going to help you even if you're discovery writing. Maybe even especially if you're discovery writing because you can do it more instinctively if you've got all that in your brain. There was an episode of uh, Sherlock, the BBC TV series. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't remember the name of the episode. I'll look it up and we'll get it into the liner notes. Um, But it's the one at the wedding where uh, Holmes is, is talking at the wedding and I remember looking at that episode two-thirds of the way through and thinking they've kind of just built a clip show. Uh, this feels very, very random. Maybe it wasn't two-thirds of the way through, but it, it, I was at least halfway through before the structure of the show revealed itself to me. And it was a lot of fun. Very, very satisfying because at the outset, it really did feel like the writer mm-hmm. did not know where they wanted to go when they started. And so they were putting down random stuff. But by the end of the book, they'd tied it all, end of the book, end of the show, they tied it all together in in a really fun way. Yeah, that's my favorite episode of that show, in large part for for that reason, 
that uh, it makes you, it, it changes what you think the structure is partway through and you realize, aha, That's all of great. these things that didn't look like they had a purpose totally have a purpose. Now, you have to be very careful if that's what you're trying to write because mm -hmm. really what you're doing is making very indeterminate promises yeah, to, your, really to your reader. I really don't think, I do not think that they wrote that without outlining, well, what they but probably they, did is they were relying on the fact that you liked the show yes. already. Yeah. This isn't mm -hmm. season one, episode one. Yeah. Um, they, that, you know, you can do really cool things. Yeah. 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 This is the same reason that I was able to get away with some really bizarre structural things in the Stormlight Archive because I had momentum as an author. I had a lot of trust of readers, and those readers who didn't trust me could trust in the fact that a lot of people did and were buying the book and saying nice things about it, which allowed me to break some structural conventions in ways that had great payoffs. Oh, conventions is such a better word than rules. Good call. <laughs> I'm going to give you your writing exercise for this month. Now, once again, we will give you one this week that you can use, and then we will be building upon it throughout the month um, so that you can, we can kind of take you along this path with, a, with an exercise. But also, if you don't want to do it, any of the given ones can be done on their own. This week, what I want you to do is take a favorite piece of, a favorite story of yours. It can be in any medium. It can be a television show. It can be a short fiction work be a novel, whatever, I want you to look at it and I want you to reverse engineer the plot threads that are involved in it. And I want you to build an outline. And when he says a favorite story of yours, he means not something that you wrote, but something oh, yes. that I someone else that. wrote. Yes. Yeah, that episode of Sherlock would yes. make a great choice because the structure is so funky. It's, it's yeah. So Although I would recommend doing something in the medium that you work in. Yes, yeah. yes. That might be. I, I like doing this with, with television shows and sure. movies and applying them to books. Oh, yeah, I yeah. think you can... The thing is, yeah. yeah. That's, that's actually and, what and, I did with um, uh, Valor and Vanity. Right, is that you I looked I reversed, at heist novels yeah, and I reversed, reversed engineered. engineered. If, 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 you are, if you still consider yourself a beginner and, and this seems imposing to you, pick a fairy tale. Pick yeah. something yeah. simple that you that that will be a little easier to deal with. And what you're looking at with this is what are the scenes? What does each scene do? And what are the promises that are being made in those scenes? Yes, and we want you to look at multiple plot threads. Don't just yes. look at one. Figure out what you think the main plot is. Figure out what you think the secondary plots are. Build an outline out of those and then identify those promises. Look and see what promises in the first 10%, whatever that is, however long it is, Take the first 10% of it and see how the creators of that piece were making promises to the readers right from the get-go. Yeah, and while you're at it, don't forget what we talked about in the character module and make sure that you're also looking at what the character conflicts are, too. Oh my gosh, their heads are going to explode. But they've got a whole week to do it in. That's right. In <laughs> fact, they've got two weeks because two weeks. next That's week right. will be a wild card during which we'll just have a regular writing prompt, not an exercise. So you've got two weeks to work on this until um, we come back. And I also want to give you a little warning on something else. Um, we are going to be at the end of the month doing a new feature we're doing this year, the project in depth that we've done in the past. We're going to pick one of our projects and we are going to dig into it, referencing the months that have come before. For instance, we're going to re reference structure and character and idea development for Howard's story. Yep, uh, we are going to go through parallel perspectives which is the 13-page bonus story at the end of Massively Parallel, which you can pick up at store.schlockmercenary.com. Um, and 
Uh, this uh, this is a lot of fun. I, first of all, I'd love if you bought one of my books. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, we we don't know yet if I'm going to be able to have this out in uh, in digital format. But if it's available digitally, it'll be available there as well. Store.schlockmercenary.com, right. massively parallel. We encourage you to get that early because we will be doing this the last week of this month. Every month that has a fifth week in it or a fifth day in it of um, of uh, Sundays, which is when we do these podcasts, we will be uh, doing one of these projects. So go pick up Howard's, read it ahead of time so you can follow along as we discuss the really interesting structure of his bonus story. All right, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.